Buongiorno, and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy in international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tecum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of the Global Podcast, we're going to take into consideration the effect of COVID-19 on the global economy, but taking a particular look at the implications economically and potentially politically for both emerging and frontier markets. It's neither a rumor nor fake news, but it's a fact that a global recession is indeed on the horizon, as well as a potential second wave of corona with many predicting even a depression in key economies such as the United States as well as a result of many more COVID-19 emergencies. Now, how long and how painful it will be is still unknown, like many things going on. The economies of fragile countries such as Italy and Greece are already in question, and many are wondering if developed countries can truly pull themselves out of the black economic hole once development and aid potentially stops. Even more uncertain would be for emerging economies and frontier markets, those countries with the potential to become real economic emerging forces, but not quite there yet, like Vietnam and Kazakhstan. What is the potential outlook for these countries, or is it really not as grim as many are predicting? Is there a chance for growth and opportunity, or is there real potential for a downfall at global scale? On this episode, we'll examine these questions from an African, a Latin American, and a frontier market lens. Joining with me today are Andres Alma, Gavin Serkin, and Michael Nineritu. Michael Nineritu is Chief Risk Officer at AZA in Kenya, which offers hybrid infrastructure and empowers companies to use African currency with less risk, costs, and friction than ever before. Previous to that, he was head of trading at BitPesa, an online payment platform that leverages blockchain settlements to significantly lower the cost and increase the speed of business payments to and from within Sub-Saharan Africa. Andres Alma is a Dominican lawyer and associate professor of law at APEC University in Santo Domingo. Currently, he is a candidate for a congressional bid representing the PRD party in the Dominican Republic. He has studied in the United States at Rochester Institute of Technology and France at Université Panthéon ACS Paris 2 and Université de Versailles. He joins us from Santo Domingo. And then Gavin Serkin is the managing editor for New Markets Media and Intelligence based in London. He is also a prominent writer, broadcaster, and commentator for over two decades. His book, Frontier, was acclaimed as a must-read by the Financial Times with his next book titled Chain Reaction, How Blockchain Will Transform the Developing World, due for publication this year. So grab your copy. Gentlemen, welcome to the Global Podcast. 
Thank you, Jesse. Great to be on here. Perfect. Thank you, Jesse. Good morning to Gavin, Michael, and everybody. Excellent. Yes, good morning to all. And as also a courtesy note to all of our listeners, uh, clearly, as you can notice, we are all also in quarantine and staying at home. So if you hear lovely background noise, take it as soothing, meditative music as you listen to this wonderful information that we present to you. Um, And hopefully you enjoy this as well in safety in your own home. But this is a particularly exciting episode as while everyone seems to be making a fuss about the big wigs economically, such as the European Union, the United States, China, and, you know, the economic woes during the coronavirus. Um, Regarding emerging markets and developing ones, it appears to be a little bit more foggy on what one is really looking at. We have some saying it's doom and gloom and the developing world will become underdeveloped and and the second coming of Jesus and everything horrible you can imagine, while others are envisioning something a lot more robust and actually a greater opportunity. So, uh, Gavin, let's start with you particularly because frontier markets seem to be the ones that investors are even debating about whether they should pull back from investments or even go forward in. And that is where one needs to understand in the little information that we are gathering and and trying to gather during these times of uncertainties to make things uncertain, understand what's going on. So, But before we go into that, can you briefly just explain one more time what frontier markets are for those who haven't read your book, which is, happens to be a hit at our team at PAX, just to say, and haven't yet <laughs> listened to your previous episode where you discussed it with us. So what is a frontier market briefly? Sure, thank you. Um, so... I mean, a frontier market is not quite an emerging market. It's a, these are markets where, for one reason or another, investment can't flow in quite the same way. Sometimes that's because the stock market might be quite limited in liquidity. You don't have the range of sectors. You, to take a random example, Romania um, is a frontier market. It's um, it, you know it has it has a very robust stock market but it's very difficult to invest outside banking and and the energy sector um you know sometimes it's about rule of law sometimes it's about um transparency on the companies um so uh, and and you know the, i suppose the defining factor normally is that you just have that much more risk because you don't have liquidity or you don't have the transparency that you might have in more developed or emerging countries. Fantastic. And of course, as the name indicates, it's a frontier. So there's a particular horizon uh, on the road for these economies. But with uh, COVID-19 suddenly coming in the way, what is the actual status of key frontier markets currently uh, amidst the pandemic or what is projected uh, post-pandemic? And how is it potentially going to affect their economies? Yeah, so I mean, as you might expect, it's not great. The picture is is very murky, very cloudy. Um, the immediate reaction um, back in March was a massive sell-off in frontier market equities, frontier market debt, um, and we've seen some pickup since then. Um, but you know, to look at to look at the problems in the face, you've got. Um, economies that uh, have been in lockdown for weeks upon end, uh, which is which is hurting GDP growth, which is the same for the world over for developed economies as well. The difference with a lot of frontier markets is that these are 
prime usually not not always but you know if i could typify them you know they these are growing populations young populations so when you get a slowdown in growth or even negative growth in a frontier market it's much more damaging than if you get in a developed country because you're hitting gdp per capita um uh, much harder and also you know these are generally speaking poorer countries so you know you're hurting um what little spare income there is to to buy goods and services um of course the big unknown with a lot of the developing world still is just how widespread coronavirus is um you know you don't have the kind of testing going on or facilities for testing that you have in some of the more advanced countries um it's very difficult to know just how how widespread it is and 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 how the health systems can cope and therefore what the expense is going to be you know talking economically on the on the public purse and whether you're going to get a second wave and therefore everyone sent back into lockdown so markets are down for very good reasons um there has been a pickup because there's been a lot of helpful forces like the IMF and the World Bank channeling hundreds of billions of dollars in um but you know for the most part investors are on the sidelines uh, waiting to see what happens next but and speaking about the investors i'm curious to understand how is covid-19 affecting investor faith in frontier markets i mean already wanting to invest within frontier markets in theory uh, that presents its own risk but what is the current appetite are they still willing to to ride off into the sunset and invest in them or are they pulling back more than ever was the old adage is is so bad that it's become good you know in that it's so bad that you got money being pumped into the developed economies you know the trillions of dollars of aid going or of of uh, stimulus going on in the US you know has has uh, and and the effect of the fed in reducing interest rates means that it's not impossible to get a decent return out of debt market certainly in the in the developed world so you know you is the is the old hunt for yields you're looking for frontier markets the higher yielding countries to boost your investment portfolio returns and that cuts across equities as well you know you're seeing you're seeing a sell off in equities um across the world but uh you got you got that much more uh, uh potential for increases in in frontier markets so you know it, it it's that there uh, as i said that you know for for investors there's a lot of waiting to see what happens next and you know that some investors are have been braver and and gone in um i think you know that the real effect to for the more sophisticated investors is not to look at frontier markets or emerging markets for that matter as being one blob but to differentiate between countries because there is you know there is a lot of diversity you know even taking taking again a pretty random example but you compare in southeast asia um a story like vietnam you know which has dealt with coronavirus very quickly it's had testing it's uh, it's um reopened much faster for tourism um it's a beneficiary of the chinese american trade war 
Um, you know, you compare that against, uh, I don't know, not to not to pick on uh, any particular countries, but let's say Argentina or Turkey or Lebanon or Zambia or Angola. You know, the, the, these are um, the opposite poles of the kinds of risk that you're seeing in, in frontier markets right now. No, exactly. And, and I think that's important overall that one needs to take consideration the uniqueness of every single country you know and that's what many have needed to understand even with the african continent it's not just africa but every single country has its own peculiarities and even latin america every single country has its own peculiarities uh, speaking in that are there any that you can think of any particular frontier markets that seem that they can perchance not only survive, potentially thrive post-corona, or are and are there some that look like they could be uh, the worried child, one should say? Yeah, well, the, I mean, starting with the with the opportunities, uh, I mentioned Vietnam before. Um, you know, Vietnam has been a bit of a darling before coronavirus because it's the country where um, a lot of the production from China has moved to both because Vietnam is a little bit cheaper than China, but also because um, the made in China stamp causes problems these days uh, for imports into America, particularly. So, you know, a lot of that production has gone to Vietnam. That's continuing. You know, we're only seeing the trade war getting uh, getting more demarked. So um, Vietnam is going to continue to be a, a beneficiary of that. And, and they've also been able to respond pretty well to coronavirus um it helps having a government in this respect that's um you know that, that's uh, uh not not a democracy and they can do things by by force um and you know we, we have seen that um another bright spot on the african continent is the ivory coast you know which again has been one of the very fast uh, growth countries um you know if you look back just a few years ago to the tensions and the and the civil war, the conflict there. Um, they've had a, 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 a huge peace dividend um, in recent years, um, and it's a very inventive country where you're seeing um, this this quite uh, significant increase in income levels among uh, among Ivorians. Um, I suppose the the negative spots, um, you know, the the ones that Unfortunately, they're you know notorious because they make the headlines. But you know Venezuela, Argentina facing its its ninth debt default in in living memory for well, for, for longer livers living memory at least. Um, you know Lebanon, you know a very unfortunate case of uh, of tensions going on in the Middle East, coupled with um, debt that's historically always been carried by the Lebanese expatriate community, but even they haven't been able to shoulder um, what's been what's become a big debt crisis. Um, Turkey, you know, it, it seems more and more isolated uh, diplomatically. Um, its strength is growing geopolitically, um, but with it, you know, the economy has been suffering. Um, in Africa, Zambia is a particular problem with, with the with the debt markets. You know the the amount of debt that it has, and the combined effect of commodity prices going against Zambia. Um, similar effect in Angola, um, 
And, you know, within the Asia region, I, I, I suppose, you know, one of the countries that is struggling a bit is Sri Lanka, uh, which was one of the few countries. Well, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh were the, were the only countries in the world to actually shut down their stock exchanges completely uh, during the coronavirus period. So Sri Lanka reopened the stock exchange a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, the, the Sri Lanka has particular issues to face as well. Well, intriguing because at the end, uh, it looks like you're uh, highlighting that there seems to be a little bit more hope than the doom and gloom that one's depicting. And and I appreciate how you've indicated regarding the African continent as a particular highlighting aspect of success and various as particular for the Ivory Coast. Because I would like to take this now towards the African continent and actually pose my question um, toward toward you, Michael, with this aspect because. You know, many have declared this to be the African decade. We've seen the economist harking the emergence of Africa. Finally, you know, we're hearing even Africa entering from a social cultural aspect within the mainstream within Europe and within North America through fashion and through music and through culture. So it's really it really has been Africa's time. But then comes COVID-19 and everybody's looking themselves in the mirror. So so and one needs to wonder whether or not Africa risks getting its title snatched from it, uh, does corona in any way impede on the rise of Africa, or is it actually helping it change its direction? So th uh, thank you so much for that question. Uh, Africa, as among us, any other, even developed countries in the world have not been left behind by the COVID-19 disease. Uh, even part of the measures that have also taken place in terms of trying to curb the spread have left a negative imprint on the economic activities in African economies. Notably, uh, manufacturing sector uh, have really been hit hard, uh, which as all we know that uh, even the manufacturing sector is one of the sectors that most of the African uh, countries have been trying to, to sustain, to really push up, but uh, they have been fairly undeveloped, but it has been se severely affected by the weaker global consumer demand that is in Asia, that is in Europe a bit, and uh, that is also in the US, where they do export as a couple of things, as, as you have mentioned. Also, part of that is due to disrupted supply chain uh, that have happened, and also very slow uh, trade activities. But does that mean that uh, we we out? No. Uh, uh, reason being, yes, for for investors that are coming to take in, uh, they are looking for yields due to a lot of African currencies weakening. So it's a good time to come in and invest uh, because you send in your hard currency and you'll get a premium on top of that. Number two, we, we saw a couple of uh, uh, African stock markets, uh, probably uh, Johannesburg stock market being closed at some point due to volatility. Uh, it has come down to pretty decent levels. Uh, we have seen the same thing for Nigerian stock market as well. Uh, Kenyan stock market, Nairobi stock market, or Nairobi Securities Exchange has also come down. So this, those are things that uh, not forgetting uh, Egyptian stock market as well. So for, for investors that are looking for high yields, considering as what Gavin said that uh, Fed has cut interest rates. So they may have to increase their risk appetite and uh, probably come into Africa. So to, to try and invest, because this is a place that they can get high yield. So we are seeing uh, a bit of bonds being uh, thrown out for, for, for the government to be able to have 
some some funds to, to to recollect itself and to boost economic growth so there is a lot of bond activity that is really going in in, in the debt uh, debt market so it is a good time for investors that are looking uh, to come and uh, put high yields because there are still a potential opportunity which has not been lost exactly there's still potential opportunity and in this case it's in a way highlighting again uh, and again, missing the picture in regards to Africa in, in, in regards to the, the pandemic. I mean, in our in our two episodes back, we discussed Africa and how it was handling the crisis, looking at it from the West African aspect, particularly Ghana. And in fact, there seemed to be more readiness within the African continent in comparison to the Western world because they've been used to pandemics before. Now, in regards to the economy in this aspect... You know, what has been then the real success stories from Africa during the crisis? Yet? Because, again, many are painting doom and gloom, but it seems to be quite clear that they're missing the full picture. So what has been the real success stories and which countries are, are really starting to show that they are that they're going to they're going to make it through? So so when, uh, let me take you back to the question number one. where, uh, And I think the, the lesson point for, for African countries is one, that they, 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 it's a high time they understand and reduce the dependency on, on the dollar effect. And that is why even as, as of that, I think that, that is one of our main themes, that we really need to reduce the dollarization effect. And uh, that's, it's a high time that most of the African countries come together and spur what we call inter-Africa activities. Because if you notice that uh, inter-Africa trades only constitute for 16%, where the 84% is a split between Europe, Asia, and China. So it's a high time that African governments or the governments that are in place, they need to come in, set policies that are going to govern and make sure that uh, the, 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 the inter-Africa transactions are really happening. So going back to your question, we have seen uh, Ghana, I think you have really mentioned, due to, to having had a lot of uh, pandemics before, they, their preparedness has been on top of that, and, and they, they have not been hit. And, and um, if you look at even the currency, uh, Ghanaian uh, GHS, CD, has not really lost much value. And, um, and uh, even the Central Bank of Ghana is not really putting a lot of very tough monetary policy. Uh, compared to other uh, other 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 countries, uh, including Kenya and Nigeria, the other success story perhaps would be countries like Rwanda and uh, Uganda, because the first instances of the reporting that started to happen from Europe, uh, the first thing they had to do is to uh, constitute a very tough measures in terms of trying to lock down the economy. Yes, it had the movement and uh, the, 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 the 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 supply chain, but we can see that. It will spur their economic growth because once once they, they open, uh, they could be able to 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 do transactions. But on the flip side, you you protect your borders well. But once the transactions are open because of intra-Africa, and also if you mention about uh, Rwanda and Uganda, the commerce agreement within even with Kenya and. Uh, Tanzania, which has been very, very slow in terms of trying to, to curb this, so it will also put a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, um, tough measures because we're still seeing people from moving goods from Rwanda, from Tanzania, from Kenya, 
passing through that. So I would think that uh, those two countries, those three countries have really done very well in trying to curb uh, the coronavirus. And interesting, again, because it is demonstrating the fact that despite uh, the global pandemic really taking a toll on the Western world, taking a look at Europe and taking a look at the United States and Canada, it seems that that African continent and even other countries, which one would assume wouldn't be able to survive through it, are actually seem to be pulling through than, than one has uh, expected. And there are still really good stories of hope on that aspect, that post-corona there sure. can be that, that there can be a, a emerges out of that aspect very true and so go ahead that's that's true because uh, as you are saying uh, we have seen some very worst hit uh, sectors in 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 africa we uh, probably tourism uh, the travel uh, transportation the financial sector has, has has lost energy has lost but we have also seen uh, big insulated sectors like the health sector where we saw that after the china lockdown most of the company most of the countries started uh, even producing the face mask inter- internally they didn't need to to, exp- to import it so that is one of a success story that has really happened uh, around. We have seen a lot of tech companies that have really done very well due to cloud computing, e-payments, video conferencing, and ETC. A lot of fintechs have really survived during this time, working from home. Waza is one of the companies working from home, kicking in the revenue due to acceptance of, of, of that. And, and also, there has been a, do- a drop of money remittance into diaspora flow into Africa, but it is not that much. Uh, so this this has kept uh, the inflow for dollars, uh, euros, or the hard currency in check as well. Which is excellent because it still shows uh, how sustainable Africa has become. Now I do want to take this now uh, across the sea, across the Atlantic, and take it over to Latin America now, and taking in a look at a more Latino lens, and taking in particular consideration the Dominican Republic, uh, and and speak with you, Andres, because the Dominican Republic has been has been booming over the years. It is still the fastest growing economy in Latin America, and it has emerged from being a low income country to a medium income country, and that's without a question or a doubt that it really is an emerging economy that many have been eyeing on with particular investments from France, the United States, and and the expansion that uh, that has been that has been happening to the country over the years. I mean, being Dominican myself, I can remember what the airport used to look like in the 90s and seeing particularly San Domingo <laughs> and seeing what it looks like now, I still wonder if I've entered uh, the, somewhere in the United States because of the development that's happened. But clearly COVID is threatening everyone and Latin America is not immune and and as we discussed in in a previous episode we were featuring Brazil and and the impact it's potentially have but let's look at the Dominican Republic and the situation with COVID at present stage in this particularly fast growing economy Um, how is it impacting local industry and what is the current status of COVID right now in the country well, thank you, Jesu. Right now, the situation with COVID is that we have a little over 13,000 infected and a little over 400 deaths at the moment. Uh, also, it's been around two months that it's been declared a state of emergency. So the whole economy has been pulled uh, to a halt and uh, people have been feeling it and uh, people have become very anxious uh, to go back to work actually because of all the social pressure from different sectors and also because it's a uh, electoral year that has that both uh, presidential and uh, municipal elections have been postponed uh, 
uh, and the presidential elections are actually in July. Uh, people have been very anxious uh, with all the uh, in, in uncertainty uh, regarding the economic situation uh, of the pandemic and has it and how it has affected everybody. So, uh, because of the social pressures, this week has been the first phase of reopening the economy. So, as of right now. People are returning to work on a lesser level. And uh, because we're heavily focused on, on services and, and, and imports, uh, naturally the dollar has increased the value uh, against the, the peso. And since a lot of businesses and a lot of families are, uh, are financially structured uh, with leverage and, and credit, uh, there's been a lot of uh, questions regarding the, the, the outlook. However, uh, a lot of people are optimistic. A lot of people just want to go back to work. A lot of people want to adapt to the new normal. And uh, we want, uh, as a country, to just pull together and try to get the economy uh, back on track. But we do know that, for example, the next 100, 200 days will be uh, very difficult. And uh, the last two months have been an example of that. Uh, so right now, we're just looking forward to have a reopening of different economic sectors, particularly tourism, which went to a complete halt. And uh, we want to do that safely, and uh, we want to keep the cautions so we can just get back on track. Precisely. And as you've indicated, despite the potential dark days that loom, and I think that's just natural of the Dominican nature, one is still quite positive and optimistic, irrespective of what can come. But looking into the into the main uh, features of the Dominican economy, tourism being a heavy, heavy one after, of course, Punta Cana uh, being the most famous of them all, telecommunications and real estate also being quite important for uh, the Dominican Republic economically. You know, despite the fact that one is looking to reopen, you know, these are key sectors that 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 will take a heavy hit. Definitely uh, different economic sectors, along with all the the talk of political campaign. Uh, it's all been how we're going to reactivate the economy. And uh, the main talking points have been uh, how to figure out to be less dependent on imports and how to become more local and uh, and how to improve and motivate uh, more vulnerable economic sectors to become more productive. Uh, also, there's been talks that because of our high informality, uh, it's, it's an excellent opportunity to try to change that. Uh, so the, the general talking mood uh, of the country is a positive one. We just want to get through this. Uh, naturally, tourism is going to take a hit and it will take time however there's been a lot of talk of promoting what is uh internal uh tourism and uh yeah we just want to uh go back to 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 work and uh, go back to uh, a more stable uh normality that uh, we've lost the last two months uh also another sector has that has taken a big hit is construction and uh, as you know, uh, a lot of commitments uh, must be fulfilled. And uh, so we just want to go, we're, we're trying to do everything we can uh, for making it happen. 
also there's been very serious talks regarding uh, the pension systems and also what state dependencies or ministries are actually essential for the present and also for the next uh, for the next years regarding what is essential and what isn't. So there's been a lot of this has been a great opportunity just to reevaluate of where we are and where we want to go. And also the, the main thing is that just people just want to get back to to work and uh, it, it, it can sound heavily optimistic, but they just want to get used to the idea of living with uh, the, the COVID virus and uh, just keeping, you know, trying to keep this as safely uh, away, you know, from, 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 you know, safely away in a, so people can try to go back to their normal lives. No, especially and 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 it's important to highlight that the fact that of course there's a deep need for one to go back to work, and this was even discussed when we we spoke about Brazil uh, a few weeks back in regarding the the lockdown measures and the impact it's been having because I think it's important to highlight that that, that not everybody has the luxury to uh, be in quarantine, and particularly for those in the informal uh, network, and this is the same within the African con- continent, and even where I find myself in, uh, currently in. In Morocco, at present, you know, it's either do I do I get COVID or do I die of hunger? Kind of a scenario. Uh, has there been any initiative from the Dominican government to be able to help facilitate the return to work, either with regards to protective measurements, with regards to keeping one uh, in a more sanitary conditioning, social distancing? Has there been in any uh, measure uh, any move done to also? help those who have not been able to let's say cope with the lockdown as as miraculously as most you know uh this situation like most countries has uh, has put at face value how effective our our public health systems are so there's been a uh there's been a big effort a big collective effort from part of the government also the private sector to just help the 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 health uh, sector uh, treat people and uh, satisfy the the current needs, uh, so there's been a lot of support on that end, and I think it, uh, it's 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 done that uh, very very effectively. Uh, regarding the measures that have that have been taken, uh, basically there's been a lot of uh, promotion of education of how to safely. Uh, coexist with with the situation, and uh, also uh, transport, public transport, which is naturally a big concern because there's they're the main focus points of of infection and transmission, are have been working since I believe since yesterday on a thirty percent uh, passenger occupa- occupation, which naturally it's it it makes it makes it very difficult for people to. To travel, however, uh, these are the measures that we we find uh, necessary, and we we find that the government has been very accurate in implementing. Uh, also, different uh, work uh, time uh, structures, just to span out mobility and uh, try to try to keep distance as as safely as possible and naturally every everybody that can have the the access to work remotely that has been heavily promoted and uh just we're trying to promote on heavily on education and uh 
and basically we're just I, I think that people are just trying to adapt and see what works best uh, but uh, regarding the the overall measures of, of the the government they've been positive and uh, naturally they just want uh, they just want to celebrate elections uh, next July and avoid a uh, institutional and political crisis and uh, help the country just uh, stand together uh, with this pandemic. Precisely, and I think standing together is the common theme for every single country, irrespective of developing or underdeveloping. I do want to ask a final question to everyone and, and uh, to answer this quite briefly, to give an understanding of what the opportunities can be within these particular aspects and these particular regions. So if, if you can tell me, what are the real opportunities for, for development and even impact within your respected area that could potentially lead to a big difference uh, in both economies and livelihood, whether this would be investments or whether this would be any sort of program or any sort of initiative. Uh, Michael, let's take it to you first. What sort of opportunities are there for sustainable development and impact investment, let's say, in the African continent? Yeah, so I would say that the government, number one, is to, is to make sure that... Uh, the trade agreements that are there, because they are trade agreements that are usually on paper, that they are workable so that it can boost inter-Africa transactions, and that will be able to make sure that Africa uh, uh, capitalizes on the exports, so they don't need to rely on uh, Europe, Asia, and China for that. Number two is to try and boost uh, the manufacturing sector, and they can do three this through uh, central banks uh, having ability to set some money aside to encourage uh, credit, to give credit to African SMEs that are coming into place. Number three is to, which they have done, is to try and have some tax benefits for huge multinationals that want to come and put uh, factories in Africa so that that will help to bring in foreign direct investments into Africa. And uh, lastly, one will be the governments will need to boost infrastructure so that this will decrease the, the time taken during the supply chain for it for to facilitate the inter-Africa transactions. Excellent. Andres, what are the opportunities for development and impact within the Dominican Republic then? I think that uh, actually there's, there's just going to be a big overhaul uh on everything on private sector and how and and how people perceive the role of the state will be in the next couple of years uh i think there will be like immediately something that like you know everybody that could try to leave santo domingo uh has effectively moved from from the cities and has moved to to other places around the center of the city uh because they just want, uh, they just want to stay away from the main uh, infection points. So I think that uh, there's going to be a different perspective of the way construction is. I think the uh, economy is going to be more localized. Uh, there's going to be huger, huger efforts uh, to get some goods and services that just are are near and closer. I think that um, it, everything's just going to try to adapt to the new normal and uh, there's just a really big collective effort to to try to save uh, tourism and uh, and figure out what is the safest way to have more people come visit the country as soon as possible excellent and Gavin uh, last word to you on what those opportunities are 
Okay, I, I'm going to start with a risk because it's a double-edged sword. You know, we're, we're seeing uh, huge um, inflows coming into the emerging markets, frontier markets from the multilaterals, from the IMF and World Bank. How that gets used is uh, th there's a lot of latitude for countries. Um, and this could become something that is a is a big stimulus for some economies. Uh, we're seeing reserves going up to much stronger levels in some countries, um, despite the despite the coronavirus. So, you know, how countries use this could be very positive. The risk is that it 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 morphs into something that looks like moral hazard and debt forgiveness, um, uh, creating new sins where where this money get, gets wasted by governments. But briefly, to on the, on the opportunities to reflect uh, both on what Andreas and Michael were saying, you know, I, I agree with, with Michael about the big opportunity for intra-Africa trade and more broadly the importance of South-South trade when we got such supply dislocation from the economies that, uh, that, that that frontier and emerging markets are typically reliant on of, of Europe, the US and China, you know, increasing trade with each other is uh, is imperative right now. But the massive opportunity, I think, is in technology. Um, so particularly in health tech, ed tech, remote working, you know, these are all opportunities where we can see frontier markets and emerging markets leapfrogging um, and particularly through through blockchain, I, I think is is one way of doing that. Um, just to give a very quick example, you know, you saw one of the investments that has has kept on going through this is Facebook's investment in underwater internet cable in Africa, which is going to have uh, a big effect in boosting the uh, the capabilities across 16 African countries. Um, it's a huge network of submarine cables, and, and we're going to see increased bandwidth um, coming through that. Uh, it's one example of how technology just keeps on going. Excellent. And it, clearly, what the overall message we're getting is that the fact, though we do have the uncertainty coming on, it seems to be more positive news coming out. Uh, then there is the, the doom and gloom that we seem to be depicting. So, Andres, Gavin, and Michael, it has been a pleasure having you on the Global Podcast and providing some real food for thought. So, thank you once again, and stay safe. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tech and Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtechandglobal.org. That's... P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L dot org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!